G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR on the stolen lands of the Wundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Two reports today, the first about journalists and their safety in the field as we mark the shooting death of Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akre, followed by a look at the early childhood education and care sector with the release of a new report meeting skill shortages in an expanding ECEC industry. You're listening to Stick Together, recorded for 3CR Community Radio, coming to your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. Today is UNESCO World Press Freedom Day. Today we think about our colleagues around the world who've lost their lives in the pursuit of a story, or who have been jailed for doing their jobs, or assaulted, or otherwise silenced. Press freedom here in Australia is also under attack. Our rights as journalists to find facts and tell the truth are under threat. Governments suppress information, refuse to answer questions, and hide behind the pretext of national security. Our defamation laws are used to quash accountability. We know during the COVID-19 pandemic, the work of journalists saved lives. It improved public policy and held the powerful to account. We also know that people were confused, trying to figure out what was true and what was false, their vulnerabilities exploited by those pushing disinformation campaigns. And they're being exploited again right now during this federal election campaign. So it's timely on Press Freedom Day 2022 to demand that our political leaders and those who want to be political leaders to honour and respect public interest journalism, to put accountability and transparency at the heart of our democracy, because democracy dies without press freedom. That was the voice of MEAA, Media and Entertainment Arts Alliance Federal President, Karen Percy on May the 3rd, World Press Freedom Day. That was just days before Al Jazeera journalist Sheree Abu Akle, while she was wearing a press jacket, was killed by, it is believed to be, an Israeli sniper with a bullet to the head while covering a raid in Janine, West Bank. Shireen joins the 2,658 journalists recorded by the International Federation of Journalists between 1990 and 2020, killed in the performance of their work. At the end of 2021, 293 journalists were currently in jail for their work. This is a record. Daily, journalists are attacked, beaten, harassed, threatened and detained. There are growing threats to their digital safety with cyber attacks, hacking, online harassment, especially of women journalists, all creating a safety crisis for news professionals. In the current international legal framework, there are no binding norms establishing safeguards for media workers specifically. International law is silent on the unique 
vulnerabilities confronted by journalists covering conflicts and gross misconduct in high office. Shireen's passing was a strong presence at a recent Nakba memorial in Melbourne. Nakba is the remembrance of the forced removal by Zionist forces in 1948 of Palestinians from their homes with the accompanying dispossession and death. Now our next speaker today is a long-time Palestinian um, activist and also journalist. Please give a warm welcome to Maher Mughrabi. Good afternoon. Assalamu alaikum. I would like to say to all the indigenous people in this country, to the Wurundjeri people above all of the Kulin Nation, that I look forward to the day when we meet you at the rendezvous of freedom. Freedom for the Palestinians and for all indigenous peoples. But I've come here to ask something very specific of you and of Australia. In April 2008, my colleague, the reporter Ed O'Loughlin, was driving along a road in Gaza when he suddenly came upon a burning jeep. That jeep had the letters TV written on it in huge red lettering. The man who had stepped out of that jeep to film and who was lying in the road dying was a 23-year-old cameraman for Reuters whose name was Fadla Shana'a. Fadla Shana'a was wearing a blue padded vest with the words press clearly written on it. The same vest that Al Jazeera's reporter Shirin Abu Akhle was wearing this week when she was shot in the head with a single bullet. Fadl Ashana actually filmed the shell that killed him. But it didn't matter. That shell came from an Israeli tank, but it didn't matter. The Israelis investigated themselves the occupier investigated itself and found everything was in order. Not, not one single Israeli soldier was disciplined over the death of Fadl al-Shana. I didn't know Shirin Abu Akhli. Allah yarhamha. Though in the last few days, I have spoken to those who did. But I know enough about Shirin Abu Akhli's work to know two things about her. The first thing I know is that she would have rejected the idea of her own death as something that should be commemorated or acted on specially over and above the deaths and the injuries of the countless Palestinians who experienced the violence of Israel's occupation and Israel's rule every single day. She devoted her life to ensuring that those people's stories were told and that they were in the foreground, not hers.
But the second thing that I know is that as a journalist dedicated to uncovering the truth, Shireen would have regarded the idea that the Israeli military could investigate its own actions or that the Palestinian Authority could help it reveal the truth as a sick joke, an absurd, preposterous idea. Which is why I say to all of you gathered here today, you must insist upon an independent investigation of this crime. And you must urge your leaders to back such an independent investigation. And you should urge your leaders to back the International Criminal Court in its efforts to hold the Zionists accountable. Not to block the International Court's work as this government has so shamefully done. When you do this, you are doing it not just for Shirin Abu Aqli's sake. You are doing it not just for Fadl al-Shana'a's sake. You are doing it for the sake of every Palestinian trying to live their lives free of the lies and the chains and the brutality of a state that has dispossessed them and tortured them for decades. It is time to stand up for justice. It is time to stand up for transparency. It is time to stand up for freedom. It is time, past time, to stand up for Palestinians. Thank you very much. You are listening to Stick Together, Workers' Stories and Union News through the Community Radio Network with the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Federation on your community radio station. We now go to a new report into the needs of the expanding early childhood education and care sector, the ECEC. The report author, Dr Mark Dean, and Australian Education Union's Federal President, Karina Haythorpe, joined me to look at key findings and recommendations of the report. At the moment, uh, ECEC is being treated like it's a market. It's just a commodity. Actually, it's of strategic importance to the economy. It not only uh, contributes enormous economic benefit to Australia's economy through uh, providing thousands of jobs to workers, uh, increasing the participation of women in the economy or flow-on benefits to uh, other workers throughout the economy and creating lots of demand for goods and services. It also sets children up for life. It's critically important to the future of Australia's economy and society that we provide young people with the best possible outcomes. And therefore, we need it to be treated for its importance to the economy. We need to attract the highest quality workers, provide them with the best quality education, actually treat it as the industry it's supposed to be. The um, process of uh, uh, talking about something as if it's of high social value and absolutely essential for the maximising of Australia's economy with its flow-on effects is usually 
targeting male-dominated industries that are related to resources and technology, but not feminised industries such as caring industries which, or developmental industries. This is an unusual approach, isn't it? Yeah, it's a reasonably unusual approach if you think of it as talking about an industry strategy for a feminised industry. But really what that says is that this industry is critical to our economic development. The fact that it's a very feminised workforce just suggests that its importance isn't being recognised in the sense that, uh, you know, manufacturing is. The gender dynamics um, shouldn't play into the fact that the, the this is a strategic sector that basically provides support for those other strategic sectors. So it needs to be treated in the same way. And at the moment, with the privatisation of ECEC, the fact that it's uh, an industry dominated by women workers means that they are also bearing the brunt of this increasing gender pay gap. That's largely because in being treated like a market and a commodity that commoditizes these essential services it's providing, it's not being reflected in government policy. And that's a, that's a real issue. And we need to address that uh, with an industry policy that recognises just how critical it is. The privatisation of this area of our economy is quite staggering, isn't it? Because it's been propelled by government policy. It's funded by government, but the outcomes for the community are actually quite low in terms of the outcomes for the children as well as for the workers. Yeah, that's right, Annie. And that's a major problem because what it's doing is it's putting profit before the uh, the well-being of the young people that ECEC serves as well as the workers that are suffering uh, low pay, poor working conditions and uh, insecure work as well. These aren't the kind of things that you provide in a sector that is so essential to the future. That's being said, you know, the skills pipeline that's going into that. We also see a growing privatisation of the vet sector that's marginalising the role of TAFE. And our report actually goes on to talk as well about how critical TAFE is to providing that skills pipeline of highly educated workers that can sustain its expansion. That basically means that we need to reverse the privatisation of the, the industry and we need to put the public role of these services back at the forefront of their delivery. Before we get on to TAFE, the outcomes for uh, children, I was fascinated to find out how staggeringly low Australia is on the uh, scale of achievements in uh, early childhood development against uh, OECD countries. We're 32 on a, a scale of 38 countries. Yeah, I think that that's, that should be a point of embarrassment for policymakers in Australia, simply because we talk about Australia as being a, an advanced industrial country, really high standards of living and good educational outcomes. But it's very much just going back to your question about the privatisation. It, this is the impact of its marketization of the market approach and the business model that's driven by profit in ECEC that, again, is putting profits before the well-being of uh, young Australians and the workers that deliver the services to them. That We don't have an industry policy in place to address that and to move back up the ranks. The fact that so much money goes into ECEC funding from government, I mean, not enough, arguably, we need to invest far more, but the fact that it's an entirely government-funded industry and then all of that 
money effectively flows to private interest, to CEOs with uh, major bonuses at executive level and doesn't flow to the workers that tasked with providing the best care and education for our future generations is really appalling. That's what this report is trying to draw attention to, as well as the fact that we need to return to public delivery of the sector, which is backed by taste in investment and role in providing the education for that. In fact, the report shows and research coming out of the United Workers Union shows that uh, some of the uh, largest companies involved in this sector are actually foreign and and that all that money goes out of this country. That's right, Annie. That, again, is just more indicting evidence to show you that this system aid is run at the moment as a market-driven system benefits private providers, their shareholders, many of them overseas, as you pointed out, and that what that does is not only create that problem of public taxpayer money going overseas, but it creates a system that means private providers of ECEC in Australia are choosing where they're going to invest. So the the typical outcome is that people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, people in working class neighbourhoods effectively, are not getting the kinds of services that they deserve for their children. Their children are missing out on development opportunities. This is something that a universal system could address if we expanded ECEC and if we funded it properly with public money. Uh, rural areas as well. Absolutely, rural as well, and they miss out. And uh, one of the recommendations I even make in the report is that we should be piloting the delivery of universal ECEC provision to rural areas that's driven by workers, where workers have uh, enormous input into how those services are delivered because it not only provides great employment opportunities for local people, they also understand the local needs of, of people in those communities. And this research is showing that we've got a, a serious staff shortage in this area and uh, this is because of the insecurity of the work, the bad conditions, the bad pay. And this leads us into the other section, which is where uh, Corinna from the AEU comes in, really, isn't it? That uh, you've been advocating for the TAFE for a long time as a key element in the public universal standardisation of our educational systems that feed into places like uh, early education. Yes, look, that's correct. And I think the, the very interesting thing about this report is it highlights uh, not only the astonishing uh, 6,000 uh, job vacancies that we're experiencing a month, but it also uh, highlights the insecurity of work, um, the low wages and lack of pathways uh, for career advancement, particularly for educators working in early childhood. Um, the AU covers both the preschool sector and the TAFE sector. And one of the key messages that we hear from our members is about the importance of uh, making sure that they have better wages and conditions to ensure that we can attract the workers. And from our perspective, that goes hand in hand with making sure that we've got uh, high quality delivery of vocational education to actually skill the early childhood workforce up, and that should happen through TAFE. Now, Mark, you've uh, done an analysis of the level of uh, adherence to standards in the private sector in this area and the ability for TAFE to actually set 
uh, higher standards and better outcomes. Yeah, absolutely, Annie. TAFE institutions in Australia are basically the anchors of quality and accountable uh, vocational education in the country. It's because they have the best infrastructure, the best quality and the best course offerings. Where private providers are driven by profit, there's no incentive for them to invest in the best quality and the best range of courses. And TAFE does that. TAFEs are basically the only uh, vet provider as well with the to meet the staffing needs that we're going to need for the growing ECEC sector. That puts TAFE in the driver's seat. If we're going to deliver this ECE reform through public provision, a publicly funded ECEC workforce that's perhaps helped to expand through not-for-profits, removing private for-profit providers in the ECE sector, it joins perfectly to the idea that we should be supporting the public delivery of the education and skills required for that sector as well. TAFE is perfectly positioned as both the most trusted institute in the vet sector, as well as a public provider of those skills that meets quality standards, the highest benchmarks and the best outcomes for the people that it trains and educates. There's a very essential element to this, isn't it, that uh, removing the commoditization of early childhood development, taking it away from the profit motive because of its public service element. Yes, absolutely. It's about recognising that early childhood education and care is a public good. It, first of all, delivers the best opportunities for young people starting off the most crucial parts of their lives. You know, their, their early development is, is crucial. If we have that provided by public services that are funded by public money, we're removing the profit incentive of private providers. And we're also removing the barriers to that provision that comes with privatisation of the sector, where I mentioned earlier that, you know, basically your postcode can determine the access you have to ECEC services in many ways. And so, but that's one element of why it's a public good and an essential service. But the other is that we've demonstrated in, in this report that ECEC is a public good because it flows all the way through the economy. It's, uh, you know, Increasing the income uh, and the, the wages and salaries of workers in ECEC creates more demand for goods and services in the economy. It expands the ability of women to enter the workforce because they're no longer having to choose between a career or raising their children. And they're the key major benefits that set us up on a trajectory of economic development that is inclusive, that uh, expands opportunity for all young Australians instead of just leaving it to where you grew up and uh, under what circumstances your, your parents have to be able to access uh, some of these services. It uh, actually leads into the issues of social cohesion as well and reducing inequality when it comes to people's outcomes in the future. Yes, that's absolutely right. It, it levels the playing field and it also means that ECEC becomes something that every child has access to and parents are encouraged to pursue in their early lives. It is fundamental that ECEC be seen as an essential public service because we want everyone to have the best opportunities in life. Uh, and ultimately, governments need to recognise the policy implications that besides creating more cohesive societies and better outcomes for young people, there are massive economic benefits. And, uh, and any government that doesn't see the opportunities that there are to expand universal uh, ECEC by spending a significant amount more money, but returning an even more significant amount to the economy, 
any government that doesn't understand that that is crucial uh, is, is really not understanding uh, how to create a, a cohesive society and ensure that Australia develops sustainably into the future. And there's 10 recommendations. And Karina, you would be quite uh, happy with the recommendation that uh, there should be 70% of public funding to the TAFE sector out of VET government funding, and as well as the last one, which is a fascinating recommendation that uh, unions should have a stronger role in the evaluating of ECEC services. Look, certainly, um, we welcome all of the recommendations. So what we've seen now uh, since 2013 is the, you know, the, the government, the federal government's latent sort of policy preferences uh, for privatisation. Um, we've seen significant funding cuts. So the commitment for 70% of total government funding, that includes state and Commonwealth funding for TAFE, uh, is critically important. Um, uh, as are the other recommendations. And fundamentally, governments have to uh, ask themselves, what is this actually about? It's about making sure that every child in Australia has access to high-quality early childhood education uh, that can set them up for their best future in terms of their school uh, education and their life beyond school, and that's what we want to see. Just to sort of add to, to what Karina's um, saying there as well, that we can think about the future in terms of choices and you know what we're what we're talking about here is an investment in Australia's future that will see immediate return to society rather than in 50 years from now when we've spent 90 billion dollars on submarines that uh, that haven't materialized yet so you know I think that this this should be a real election issue to, to understand which government is going to deliver uh, inclusive policy outcomes for Australians and uh, investing in early childhood education and care and, and investing in our taste system uh, are key ways that we can actually build a sustainable future. Well, actually, it does occur to me that uh, the issue around support services and essential workers came out during COVID, uh, and it was pointed out that uh, insecure work and bad pay for essential workers leads our society to understand that it actually has to make these kind of jobs worth doing financially as well as intellectually? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, um, if, if we just think of, of uh, early childhood education, uh, educators and carers uh, as being essential uh, services, uh, roles that are essential services to the economy, um, those workers aren't being treated uh, in terms of paying conditions anywhere near as well as their job is of value to the economy. And, um, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about these essential services uh, that have been provided throughout the pandemic uh, actually just being treated with dignity and respect and these workers being remunerated for the, co the contribution they make to the economy and the commitment they show to their jobs. This isn't an area where people are childminding per se. They are actually in the um, uh, job of helping to develop young minds, which is a complicated uh, area that requires training. Well, that's why it's called early childhood education and care. We've got the issue of the care that uh, and early education that's provided for children from birth to three, and then we've got the critical uh, two years before school, uh, with Australia being one of just a handful of countries that only offers one year of preschool education for our children before they go to school. So it's a critically important time for um, children as they're establishing their um, development in terms of their brains. And uh, with respect to um, teachers in schools, we see the difference every day for those children that have actually been uh, in early childhood education and care environments as opposed to children who have not. 
uh, in terms of the learning needs that those children might present with uh, as they begin school. That's it for Stick Together this week. You can catch up with the show at 3cr.org.au or where you get your favourite podcasts. Contact us at sticktogether at 3cr.org.au. I'm Annie McLaughlin. Join the Stick Together team next week for more workers' news. And remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. Stay safe and stick together. As Palestinians, we like to be vocal, loud and to be heard because the world doesn't want to hear us. But thank you for sharing this moment with us, for all those who have passed and for Shireen.